Welcome back to Shadows in the Limelight. We are changing direction in comparison to our last few guests on the show. Though our guest has toured and spent part of his career in the music industry, he has been prominent in film since changing gears. Shane Stanley is our guest on the podcast. Shane is a multi-Emmy award-winning filmmaker and author who grew up in and around the business in Hollywood. As a childhood actor, he appeared on screen in over 100 projects, and we learned that his first on-screen appearance was when he was just a baby. His book, What You Don't Learn in Film School, has landed on required reading lists at several universities across the country and is endorsed by some of the most respected names in Hollywood. We discuss what he's currently working on, and always, everything will be in our show notes. Let's let the interview with Shane roll. Shane, I'm excited to have you on the show. What's going on, man? Hey, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me, David. Hey, so I do an audio-only podcast, but for those that listen, I usually get to see our guests, and I get on with Shane. The first thing I see is an Eddie Van Halen, Frankenstrat guitar, and he's got like this Van Halen stuff, poison stuff. We're talking Kiss backstage laminates. What's your, I mean, you got a background in rock. You love rock. Tell me your, tell me a Van Halen story. Well, I wish I had a lot of great Van Halen stories. They were actually, it was the band Van Halen that really made me fall in love with just rock and roll. My mom put Van Halen 2 in the 8-track in her uh, 1979 Cadillac she just got. And she said, check out this 8-track we just got. And it was Van Halen 2. And uh, I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever heard. That changed my life. Do you, do you, you play then, I'm assuming? Or is this just I cool play- wall art? I played drums for a long time. You know, they say, who's the guy that hangs out with a bunch of musicians? It's a drummer. I was a drummer <laughs> in a band with Tommy Fields, who, you know, went on to be in uh, a lot of great bands um, and a number of other guys. And we had so much fun. We actually toured the country, did a, a stint back east. We opened up for the Black Crows. We opened up for Lenny Kravitz and Stone Temple Pilots while we were in uh, on the East Coast back in 93. And so we had a few minutes of, you know, hey, who are those guys? But, you know, my my real career and passion was working in film and television. But I, I have such a, a love for rock. And, you know, if, uh, you know, you could tell by looking at me, you know, my hair is long and I I don't dress uh, like a, a typical guy. And that would uh, be doing what I do. And my walls loaded with gold records from bands and memorabilia. So that's that's really my passion. Well, I mean, it's, it, I didn't think I could transition this, but I'm going to do my best shot. Good One luck. of your very first gigs, I shouldn't say first gigs, your first gigs, you, you start when you're a kid, kid, but you also worked for Sheen Michaels Entertainment. And uh, what's your, uh, so uh, this is my cool moment. So my wife and I and kids are are watching uh, something on real television about poison and I'm an eighties rock guy and you pop up on the screen and I tell my wife, Oh yeah, he's going to do the show this week. And I, they all look at me like I'm the coolest person in the world. And <laughs> not that I agree, but I'm the one that gets to talk to you, but it, it seems like you go back with poison or specifically Brett quite a long ways. How'd you get plugged in there? Very funny story. Um, Brett and I used to work out at the same gym, but what was funny is before then I had two friends that had worked on a native tongue record. Uh, you know, the record they did with uh, Richie Kotzen, I believe in 94. Yep. And, uh, one of the producers on the record was a friend and he said, you know, 
I got to introduce you to Brett Michaels. I think you guys would really hit it off. And I said, why? And he said, you know, you guys both love motocross. You like the same bands. Um, you guys just, you know, you like the same cars. You both have German shepherd dogs. You live in, you live like two miles from each other. So I thought that was funny. And then one day I went to the gym, it was like nine 30 at night. And, uh, he was still dating Pamela Anderson at the time. And I didn't see him there, but I saw her on a treadmill. And of course, you know, it's this huge gym and I had to pick the treadmill next to her and, uh, I'm jogging you, along. You just had to, I just, it was the only one available. Right. <laughs> and, uh, so then I noticed he was working out over there. So I just, I, I felt like kind of a jackass, but I put the two together. Oh shoot. They must be dating. They're here together. And uh, I walked over to Brett and I said, Hey, um, Jeff Hendrickson who co-produced native tongue is a good friend of mine. And he thought we should meet. And Brett is so down to earth and humble and genuine. And uh, he, he, he and I talked until the place closed and Pam ended up coming over and saying hi. And um, we sat and talked for about 35, 40 minutes. And he just said, you know, we know so many of the same people. Why don't, why don't I just give you my number? And this was back in 93 or 94. And, uh, we, we, about six months later, we, we connected and we've been dearest of friends ever since. In fact, I talked to him yesterday and he's doing great. You know, a lot of people were concerned about his health on the road. He's, he sounds good and he's pulling through. Oh, I know it. I was a friend of mine actually sent me a text message when, uh, they said that Brett's in the hospital. I'm going to be able to play. I think it was Nashville that night. And, yeah. uh, did you do any work on, um, the letter from death row? You know, what's funny Brett, when I met him, was really passionate about getting into filmmaking. And we were trying to develop something in L.A. for him to do. And the one thing I really admire about Brett and the reason I think we hit it off so well is because he puts his money where his mouth is. He's a doer. He doesn't wait for something to come to him. He goes out and tackles it. And he said, dude, I'll put up my own money. I'll figure it out. Let's do something. And you know, making films is hard enough, but trying to do it in Los Angeles is no picnic. And I think Brett, you know, he and Christy is his wife, uh, got together around that time, about a year had passed. And in typical Brett Michaels fashion, you know, I probably had about a dozen meetings with him at his house and, and, and at my production office trying to figure out what to do together. He called me up one day and, he, and I got this 615 number came through on you know, the old caller ID. And he said, Hey, Shane, it's Brett. I'm in Nashville. Call me. So I called him back. I go, what are you doing music? He goes, no, I moved here. I sold my house in Malibu. I bought a house here and I'm going to make this movie. And I was like, dude, that, that was, that was ballsy. And uh, he said, I want you to be involved. And I said, man, I just, I just got a green light on another film. Uh, good luck. Godspeed. Keep me posted and let's, you know, stay in touch. So he, he made his movie there and then he got it done and brought it back to LA at a three hour cut of it. And, uh, I watched it and I said, you know, this is really cool. I said, you know, we probably want to get this down to 90 minutes. So I recut it for him. And then we added Charlie Sheen and Martin Sheen later. And uh, I produced that, uh, that insert stuff of those two wonderful people. And um, we shot that out in a day and uh, film, you know, he was able to finish it up and get it out. I, funny enough, there was a, uh, a barber chair that they used an old, antique barber chair that was in that film that was in brett's house for years and now it finds itself in my living room you it's red right it's got the maroon padding yeah you have that well i have to you have to send me a picture of that i'll send it to him and say does this look familiar yeah i'll I'll text it to you and we're done please do i'll send it to him and christy they would get a kick out of it 
what's been funny is that we uh, we we work with his or donated his charity in the past, and I know a lot of people on their camp. And Jana, we live in in Phoenix, and Jana asked me his his account if if, if we'd be interested in it. And I said, of course. Well, my wife thought it was a bar stool, <laughs> and I just I just let it go. Of course, you know, I remember like, it well. absolutely. And uh, when it took two hand trucks and about three guys to get that in our front door, she wasn't quite as thrilled. But uh, in any event, yeah, David, I thought you said bar stool. Yeah, no, this thing weighs almost 300 pounds. You, know, can't, you, have, know, you yeah. have to move with a forklift. But yeah. in any event, you've spent your almost entire life in the entertainment industry. What, what drew you to do what you do? Uh, well, you know, I started, I got my, my introduction into the business besides the fact that my father was the co-star of Ice Station's Eagle with Rock Hudson. And he met my mom while he was making that film. And she was more interested in meeting Rock Hudson than him. So of course she went out with him, but you know, we all found out other things about Rock and, uh, my parents got married. They actually got engaged at Rock's house. And, uh, my dad was, you know, a working actor. His best friend was Paul Williams. Who's my surrogate uncle, who, you know, is the president of ASCAP and one of the most prolific songwriters of all time. So right. I grew up around it. Wells Root was my godfather who created the WGA, uh, the Writers Guild and Catherine Hepburn. Those kind of people were always at the dinner table, you know, when I was growing up. And when I was nine months old, my parents were at a barbecue and some guy walked up to my dad and said, Hey, that kid hasn't made a noise in two hours. I'm producing a series of commercials for century 21. It's a brand new real estate company. We need a baby. So I got thrusted into doing their national commercials at nine months old. And then my dad went from being an actor to a filmmaker and, you know, his budgets were so damn low. He was, you know, who cared about child labor laws? I'll just put my kid in. And so I, I worked in front of the camera, David, for about 10, 12 years and then while that was happening, dad had a home studio. So I was learning how to use the Moviola editing machine or the flatbed and a 16 millimeter Ari. And once I realized my music dream wasn't going to come true, I had always been paying my rent by doing odd and then film jobs. And, and I just got to the point when I was in my mid twenties, where I realized I, I had to go where I was making an income. And I thought dad would be able to provide a really cool job for me. And I said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to give up music and focus on filmmaking. He said, good for you. Good luck. And, uh, you know, the next day he felt bad. He said, you know, if you want to take my Rolodex, make some calls, but I wouldn't expect much, you know, nepotism is, is frowned upon with my circle and boy, he wasn't kidding. So I started calling people and offering to work for free. I was, I was, I worked the first two or three years for free as I held odd jobs when I did get hired and then just started working my way up. And I have to credit Rick Siegel from marathon entertainment. Uh, Rick had a great run in the industry and, and he saw, me at a young age, working hard, the first one there, last to go, leaving a place better than I found it. And he he brought me on to start co-producing some specials he was doing for CBS and brought me into the to the uh, Castle Rock fold and the hype of like Seinfeld and Roseanne and uh, got me some good PA jobs with them. And that's where I started. I, I really did kind of start at that level, even though I had had a, a family and a past in the industry. Do you think you almost had to work harder knowing that there was a family because somebody has something to like benchmark you to like you'll never 100%. be you'll never be your dad 100 percent um i am a firm believer of it's not it's 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 not what you know it's who you know but you better know what you're doing when you get the opportunity i have friends in this industry whose parents ran studios ran networks or some of the most prolific names in entertainment and they they've almost been blacklisted because of the lack of 
uh, pride, care, knowledge that they have in the industry. They, they got incredible jobs over the years and were ousted. And, and it literally became a big problem because they just didn't know the craft or invest in themselves. It was all just handed to them. So I learned early that um, you really, really have to know your stuff if you're getting a chance because people don't want to hire you because you're so-and-so's son. That's for sure. And, and that makes perfect sense. I mean, in, 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 you know, just my run of the mill business day job too, I would say that it's who, you know, can get your foot in the door, but if you can't, if your work doesn't speak for itself, you're just not going to last. And that, that's going to be, I'm going to say your, <laughs> your business as well. But in, in terms of, I mean, did you have any formal education? Did you go to school? Did you do anything like that? I didn't. Um, my father actually wanted me to go to Brooks uh, Institute, which was up in Santa Barbara. It was a very acclaimed film school, cinematography school. And it was the one of the best of the best. And we went up there and took a tour. And I started to get, a, I don't want to use the word panic attack, David. It's a little dramatic, but I started to, my throat got tight. My, my, my chest started to pound. And um, I, I, I just said to him, I said, look, I, I am not going to go through another two to four years of school. I, I squeaked through high school. I hated it. And I got to figure this out on my own. I just can't be thrown in a class and expected to learn. And I, I just got to do it myself. So I, I went and learned and took classes, uh, you know, how to run stuff, not how to do stuff, but how to, how to turn on an editing machine and make cuts work and um, how to work certain equipment as it came out and technology got better. But everything I did, I learned pretty much on my own or just by doing it hands-on. And let's take the humility hat off. What's one thing you think you do better than anybody else? Um, I outwork everybody. Um, I can tell you that for a fact. I'm, I'm on a studio film right now and uh, I'm hired as a director and as a producer, but as a director. And they're, they're adamant about me learning to work with a team to do the things that I do. Cause I do a lot of independent films. You know, I do one or two of those a year and I, you know, from concept to delivery, I handle them. I'm hands-on. And in this situation, everything was brought to me. A cast, a wonderful cast was brought to me. A good script was brought to me. And it was like, okay, you can assemble your team, but you have to have a team that's so big. And I'm like, but I don't put, I don't work with ADs. I don't work with line producers. I don't work with supervisors. <laughs> I don't, I edit all my own stuff. I'm like, well, you ain't doing it. So I, I, I have a work ethic that I know is second to none. I'm not saying people don't work harder, but I haven't found one yet. I'm, I'm out of bed every day by 5.30, 6 a.m. I'm at the desk and I do what I need to do to get to the next. And I do it because I love it. And um, I know I, you know, I, I can tell you, my wife will tell you that I, my hours that I put in here are, are pretty, pretty long. But you, you absolutely love to do it. What's I, the yeah. absolute most rewarding, what's the most rewarding project you've been a part of to date? You know, different things for different reasons. I mean, of course, people will look and say, well, it's got to be gridiron gang. And there's a lot of that that is true because, you know, my father and I and two other people got peanuts to go make the documentary in 1989-90 uh, to capture the, the Kilpatrick Mustangs in their first year as a team that were playing the straight schools. And for two years, nobody wanted it. We couldn't get it on TV. And then it finally aired and everybody in Hollywood wanted it. And it, it went on the fast track. Five studios were in a bidding war for it. And then Sony got it. 
and they put it in turnaround and the thing was basically sent to purgatory. And, and then finally in uh, 2004, I heard Friday night lights was coming out and reached out to Neil Moritz, who's, you know, probably one of the most prolific producers in town. We've known Neil for years. And I said, look, Hollywood copies itself. You got Friday night lights. They're going to make, we are Marshall. They're going to make facing the giants. They're going to make, you know, invincible, Sony's going to need a freaking football movie. And do you want to do gridiron gang? And Neil said, let's have a meeting tomorrow. And three months later we were in pre-production and the film obviously did very well. It was, you know, uh, probably one of the first roles Dwayne Johnson was taken very serious as an actor. Uh, the film was number one at the box office and I know it touched millions of lives. So when you have a story like that in your, in your arsenal, it's tough to, to say anything can top that, but I've got everything I do. I, you know, put my whole heart into whether it's a, you know, a, a commercial that I'm doing for a casino that I'm directing or producing, or it's a, it's a studio film. I mean, they're all my children at the end of the day and I love them all. <laughs> and no, and that's a completely fair response. But when, when it goes into a bidding war like that, where you're just kind of waiting and, and seeing what's going to happen before Sony picks it up, is it just unbelievable jitters for you until you know which way you're going to go? I mean, you mentioned panic attacks are a strong word. I think if I was in your line of work, I would constantly be panicking. <laughs> you know, I, I look at, uh, and I wrote a book about this industry and, and what you, what you can expect from it and what my journey was. Um, and I, I was very fortunate at a young age, you know, I was involved in some very successful shows my dad and I did together we, we, we were very fortunate. And then obviously with gridiron, um, I felt that I was able to check off all the career boxes by the time I was like 28, 29 years old. So being an old man now, I'm, you know, 51 last month, um, to me, everything else is just a gift. It's borrowed time. And, you know, I don't, I don't set commercial success standards for myself. I just put my whole heart in everything I do. But yeah, you know, when you have a studio bidding, I mean, we just finished a film called Night Train. We got into quite an extensive bidding war with four or five different different distributors from domestic. It was it did very well at Cannes. Um, it showed very well, and and we have a lot of interest in it. And we finally just buttoned that up. That'll be coming out in January. Um, it, so I went through that all over again. You know, your sales agents are calling you seven times a day. Hey, we got this guy. We got this company. We got this studio. They want it. They want it. They're going to give you this. They're going to give you that. And, it's, I think because I'm older and I've been that done there, I, I know to take a deep breath and to know it's all, it's all for the moment. And as soon as they close my deal, they're going to be chasing somebody else. That's the reality of it. So, so if we don't find you working, what do we find you doing? Are you just a scratch golfer or what's going on? <laughs> no, um, I honestly, I don't think I've, I've not been working since, 90, 98, 99. Um, I, I, I go from project to project. I have three going on right now. Um, I'm already thinking about what's after this. I, I love what I do. And my wife, God bless her. She puts up with me. We're not the kind of people that need to get in a plane and travel. So I, she never says to me, you know, when are we going to Europe or when are we going to here? And um, I we, love it when every guy imitates yeah. their nagging wife and they always do it in that tone. And then well, when that's speak of us, they use that one that yeah. like drops our IQ a certain number of points yeah, yeah. like this. Well, everybody I'm, does I'm that. saying I'm lucky. She isn't like that. She's, she knows <laughs> I love what I do and she's so supportive and uh, I get to work from home. 
So I'm, I'm only gone when I'm on location, which could only be four, six weeks a year. So, uh, you know, maybe 12 weeks a year, if I do two in a calendar year and, and you know, I just, I just decompress for a few weeks. We'll go, go to Laguna for a couple of days. We'll go visit family that lives out, in, you know, Corona Del Mar or Newport and just kind of walk the beach. We're really simple people. I, I lived a really exciting young life. I raced motorcycles. I raced boats. I raced cars. I played, you know, drums in a band. I, I'm just, I'm really happy just being with, with what I am. He wrote a book, the book, he didn't give himself a shameless play, a shameless plug rather what you don't learn in film school. Uh, in any event, when you look at, you know, going where you go next in terms of what you're working on right now, um, what are you working on right now? If you can tell us. Um, well, I just finished up a, a film called night train. Um, yep. just talked about that one. Okay. It's a really, it's, it's a really good action thriller. I'm really proud of it. Uh, it's about a single mom who has a son with cystic fibrosis. And, and for people who don't know cystic fibrosis, even if you have some of the best insurance in the world, it's a very expensive, uh, disease to, to keep your child alive on. And it's also is for many, it's a death sentence before they're 18, 19 years old. And she's been relying on black market medical supplies to keep her son going and the FBI has cracked in, uh, cracked down on the group that she's been getting her supplies from. So she is also a, uh, a street racer at night. She, she's part of the 200 mile an hour club, which is the, the women that go over 200 miles an hour and uh, on two wheels. And she's also one of those ladies who races for pinks in the underground. And she realizes that she's got the ability to get the medical supplies from Vegas to uh, the desert in Palm Springs where they get dropped off. And uh, if this if this underworld will trust her to run the meds, she'll get it done as long as she can get her free supplies. So the FBI starts turning her attention toward her because they realize this is now being transported by by truck. And it's a super dually that's got 650 horsepower. And, you know, it's known as the night train. So we got that. It stars Danielle C. Ryan, Diora Baird, uh, Ivan Sergey, Brent Bailey, Joseph D. Reitman, Abraham Ben Ruby. We've got an awesome cast. I'm really really excited about that. That's when it comes out in January. Um, and I'm, I'm working on a film for, uh, for Sony right now. Um, the working title is runway cop. That's, we always work a, a working title. Um, I'll, they'll figure out, but that'll come out in April of 2023. Um, it's a romantic comedy, kind of a uh, faith-based version of Miss Congeniality. It's a really cute rom-com, uh, based in the fashion world, you know, somebody's trying to it sounds like uh, two extremes here going on at the same time. Very sure. It's not the kind of movie that I've been making for the last decade, but they came to me, uh, Andrea, uh, Logan, who's, uh, one of the stars of the film. She and I had worked together a couple of years ago and she had this deal with the studio and she suggested me to direct it. I was honored. And uh, I got a phone call, you know, in March and they said, we'd love you to do it. And, and it was just nice because I was, you know, to, to go back into the studio world, it's been, it's been since Gridiron Gang for me after Gridiron, I just went straight independent and it's just nice. I just, I just wanted to take a breath and not be responsible for everything. So that's, that's how I ended up here. And I'm, I'm honored. They call me and we start shooting in four weeks from tomorrow. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess you're not uh, looking at retiring. You're looking at retreading. Uh, That's it. Just keep, keep on rolling. Well, I, I said, I'd only keep you for 20, 25 minutes. I know what kind of day you've got lined up. Um, do you and your, your wife want to plug any charities you guys are involved with or anything you want to 
say that any shameless plug to you you've got well, the floor it's really kind of you you know we put our attention into animal charities i think there are too many uh to list and i wouldn't do that to anybody so if if anybody has a heart to to put some of the resources into helping animals you know we're, we're big behind the gentle barn which has really made a big splash in the last few years we're all honored to be a part of that uh and also you know probated youth um we we my family's been involved in helping, you know, kids that have done time and trying to get them on the straight and narrow. We've been doing that for 35 years. And um, also, you know, kids who have parents who are locked up. There are a few charities that are really good for, you know, kids that are born into a situation where mom and dad are in prison and they're not going to get out. And they're kind of born with two strikes against them. So we try to help out those charities as well. Well, that's awesome. I know there was nobody uh, <laughs> more than me that was looking forward to this. I've been a fan of your work. Now, when my wife and I are watching TV and your face pops up as the Brett Michaels biographer, which I would put that on my business card if I could. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to say, not only is that guy on my show, but I know him and he's, he's an awesome dude. Well, thank, you. thank you for popping, taking time to pop on my show. We promote positivity on this show. That's what we're about. New content links to everything we talked about. will be in the show notes. Shane, it's been a pleasure. Hey, thank you for having me. Bless you, man. And continued success and keep up the great work. Yes, man. Cheers. I was grinning ear to ear after this interview. We had a few laughs before the show and some even after we stopped recording. Big thanks to Shane for jumping on the show and talking everything poison to gridiron gang to what he's got going on now. This man is the living example of if you love what you do, you'll never have to work a day in your life. Go check out the show notes for everything we talked about. Follow both of us on social media and take your good time with you. We'll be back next time with another great guest.